This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. This morning we will be reading from God's Word, uh, both from a passage from the Old Testament in the book of Exodus and um, a passage from the New Testament, which is what our sermon text will be, uh, which is from the book of Hebrews. First, I'm going to read from the book of Exodus, chapter 15, verses 1 through 18. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, where your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And now from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. 
For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you. If you do have your copy of God's Word, have it open there to uh, that Hebrews passage in Hebrews chapter 3 as we settle in on another chapter in a wonderful book that continues to point us to Jesus. Let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather in your house and as we sit under your word, we pray that our hearts would be prepared for you. And Lord, we know that then preparation does come throughout the week as we spend time in prayer ourselves and in time in the Word. But Lord, we know that apart from your Holy Spirit working, we would have no hope. And so, Lord, we do pray that you, O Holy Spirit, would come into this place, that you would work in us, your people, that you would stir in our hearts, that you would unblock our ears, that you would unblind our eyes, that we would see the glories of Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we do see the glories of Christ, that the things of this world would fall dim, that the beauty of Christ is what we would behold and cling to and hold fast with. God, I pray that you would use me as your mouthpiece. Lord, I pray that I wouldn't say anything more nor less than you've given me to say, but that, Lord, I would be faithful. And Lord, I pray for your people. Lord, I know that they come with many concerns, many wearies, and a hard life. Life is hard. And we think of Carol today in the funeral, Lord, service for Charles. We pray, Lord, for that service. We pray that you would comfort that family. We pray that you would encourage them in the hope of Christ. So, Lord, we pray that for ourselves as we gather in this place, we pray that we would be encouraged in Christ and that we would be changed. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. What we cling to matters. That's really the thesis of Hebrews. Hebrews is really telling us repeatedly to cling to Christ. What we cling to matters. It's the storms of life that really expose what we are clinging to, what we're holding to, what we're trusting in. There's nothing like one individual being on their deathbed to see where they place their faith. John Knox, that great Scottish reformer, was there on his deathbed and is quoted as saying, live in Christ, die in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. Live in Christ, die in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. There seemed to be a confidence that he had even in the face of death. If you know anything about John Knox's life, he had a rough life. He had a difficult life. There were some some prestigious moments, as even now we're talking about a man from Scotland by the name of John Knox. There obviously had been some events that lifted him to notoriety, But the truth of the matter is he had a difficult life. He was often on the run because of his belief in Christ, his confidence in salvation in Christ 
alone. And yet there, on his deathbed, is a place where we see his faith really tested. And what do we hear from his lips? Live in Christ. Die in Christ. And the flesh need not fear death. Confidence. Holding and trusting to Christ. Compare his words to many on their deathbed who say something like, I hope I did enough. I hope I did enough. What a far comparison from one who has absolute confidence in whom he is clinging to versus one who is unsure, unstable, left wondering. See, this is the issue in the book of Hebrews. He is walking with a community of faith. And as he walks with the community of faith, the writer is encouraging. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 3, his holy brothers. He's encouraging his holy brothers. He's encouraging the covenant community. He's encouraging those who've been set apart by God. And why is he encouraging them? Because of the hardship and persecution that they are facing. What was gradually happening to these brothers is through that hardship, through that persecution, they were starting to begin to misplace their trust. See, rather than having confidence on the risen Christ, they were running back to Moses. Rather than trusting in Christ, they were running to Judaism, their, their, their background, their, their beginnings. They were going back to what they knew maybe as a child before they had come to the truths of Christ. And in doing so, they were placing Moses in a more prominent seat than Jesus. Do we do that? Do we ever place someone or something in a more prominent place than Jesus? Do we ever cling to someone or something more than we cling to Jesus, especially in the places of hardship or difficulty? What's interesting is the way the writer here deals with us. The writer continues to proclaim Christ as he has for two solid chapters as the superior one. Yet now he's focusing by comparing, contrasting, and cautioning us to Christ's superiority over Moses. I didn't come up with those C's. I wish I did. But I borrowed them from many commentators who pulled those three C's out repeatedly. Comparing, contrasting, and cautioning. I want you to think about the time when there was a great storm on the water during Jesus' life. His disciples were in the boat and Jesus was walking on the water in the midst of that storm. We're told that the wind was blowing, the waves were high, and it was dark. And it was there the disciples saw him and they cried out to him, first thinking he was a ghost. But in the midst of that storm, we see Peter take steps outside the boat. We see Peter actually walking on water. But I ask you, in that text, where does it say Peter's eyes were fixed? On Christ. 
Peter's eyes were fixed on Christ because the moment that Peter took his eyes off of Christ, what happened? He began to sink. See, and that's exactly the point that the writer of Hebrews wishes for us, his readers, the community of faith, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus even in the midst of the storms. And church, I know there's a lot of storms. There's storms all around us in life. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to have us engage with Moses. And some of you say, well, I'm, I'm not attracted to Moses. <laughs> okay. But the people specifically that the writer of Hebrews was writing to were. And it forces us to ask the question, who are we holding up? Who are we looking to rather than Christ? So as we dig into this comparison this contrast and this cautioning regarding the superiority of Christ to Moses, I want you to be wrestling with the comparing, the contrasting, and the cautioning of whatever it is that you hold up in place of Christ. Let's begin. The first thing I would draw your attention to is the fact that we're told to consider Jesus. Holy brothers, consider Jesus. Notice the attachment in verse 1 that this is your heavenly calling to do this. To consider Jesus. Each and every one of us has a heavenly calling to consider Jesus. This comparison between Jesus and Moses is just that. It's a comparison. But I would draw your attention to something that the writer of Hebrews, in the efforts to turn the eyes of his people to Christ doesn't destroy or deface Moses whatsoever. In fact, in this lesson is really for all of us that in an effort to make something seem better, we don't have to tear something else apart. Hear me on that. To make something else seem better doesn't mean you necessarily have to tear something else apart. The writer of Hebrews isn't spending his time ripping Moses limb to limb. No, he actually will show the faithfulness of Moses. My professor Ron Nash in in our class on apologetics talked about the importance of debating, discussing. He encouraged us to always be winsome, be friendly in regards to others. Specifically in dealing with their worldview, how they see the world. He would remind us to be careful in debating someone's primary or basic beliefs. Because if we're not careful, we can crush that person and cause unwanted damage to that individual. He would remind us to be gentle, but yet precise. And friends, this is exactly what we see the writer of Hebrews do as he's dealing with the covenant community and their appreciation for Moses. He doesn't deface. He doesn't destroy. He simply compares. Notice the key word, faithful. He calls Moses faithful. Faithful in God's house. Faithful. Moses was a faithful messenger of the law of God. In fact, we're given a a picture of this in Numbers chapter 12 where Moses' own sister, Miriam, is complaining about her brother. We've never seen that before. A sister complaining about her brother? 
competition in a household? Never. But here it is in Numbers chapter 12. Miriam is complaining and ultimately God rebukes her. Listen to how God speaks of Moses' faithfulness. Numbers chapter 12, beginning at verse 6, God said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in my house. With him I speak with mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of God. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And then it says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And we're told, actually, that Miriam was given the disease of leprosy because she attacked God's faithful servant, Moses. Moses was faithful. Moses was faithful. Moses was a faithful message bearer. And in regards to the law of God. But Moses was also a faithful mediator. Did you know that? He stood up for the people. He stood in the gap. There's the story in Exodus 32 when a complaining people of Israel made a golden calf and began to worship it. God told Moses this. He said he was going to wipe them all out from the face of the earth and that he would make a great nation from Moses. This was Moses' opportunity to be the center of the universe. The world would be really built off of him. But Moses implores the Lord, it says in verse 11. And he said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring that they shall inherit it forever. And then we're given verse 14. And the Lord, the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken to bring on his people. What's interesting is verse 15. Verse 15 basically says that Moses turned and went down the mountain. You know what's funny is the people have Israel had no idea how close they came to being wiped out. But it was because of a faithful mediator, Moses. What am I trying to show you? I'm trying to show you that when it says Moses was faithful, he was these weren't just words. This is inspired text. If they were going to worship and, and, and put their support in anyone or anything, it kind of makes sense that they're going to look up to Moses. He was faithful. He was a faithful mediator. He was a faithful messenger. That's why when it says in verse 2 that he was faithful in all of God's house, the Scripture is not lying. Moses was faithful. But the writer of Hebrews won't let us rest there. He pushes us on. He says, now I want you to consider Jesus. But now I want you to consider Jesus. See, Jesus is the faithful one. 
The front end of verse 2 in chapter 3 of Hebrews says, He was faithful to him who appointed him. It's basically uh, fast words to say that Jesus was faithful to the Father. Remember in the garden when Jesus is there feeling the weight of the cross? He's feeling the weight of carrying our sin, the reality of what that means and the wrath of God placed upon him? Remove this cup from me, he prays. But then he utters these famous words, but not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Consider Jesus in light of that. He was faithful to him who appointed him. And what did the Father appoint him? He actually appointed him to be a faithful apostle. We think of apostles, we think of the twelve. But an apostle was a sent one, a messenger. Really, this is a summary of chapter 1. That's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's summarizing chapter 1 and showing us that Jesus was a faithful messenger. Jesus even said in John chapter 20, as the Father sends me, so I send you. Jesus was faithful, and so he expected his disciples to be faithful. Jesus was, in fact, a faithful messenger. But hear me this morning. He wasn't simply a messenger, was he? Jesus was the very word of God itself. But Jesus wasn't just a faithful messenger like Moses. Jesus was also a faithful mediator. In our text, we're told that he is the faithful high priest. He's the faithful high priest. And back in chapter 2, verse 17, we're told that he is a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. That's the way Jesus is described in chapter 2, verse 17. A merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Jesus is interceding on our behalf. And how would he do this? By actually becoming the sacrifice for our sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Church, hear me this morning. Chapter 1 is summarized in Jesus being a faithful messenger. Chapter 2 is summarized in Jesus being a faithful high priest. What's the point? The point is, you rightly honor Moses as faithful. Therefore, you should rightly honor Jesus as being more faithful. You rightly honor Moses as being faithful. Therefore, you should rightly honor Jesus as being more faithful. Go back to my question earlier. What things or what person do you often cling to outside of Christ? For some of us, maybe that's a spouse. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's our 401k. Maybe it's our house or our neighborhood. What thing are we putting our security in rather than Jesus? Those things may be faithful. Maybe we've had a faithful marriage. Maybe we've had faithful neighbors. Maybe we've had a faithful occupation. But Christ is more faithful. That's the point. That's the point that the writer of Hebrews would drive us home to. Jesus is more faithful. To make this point, he not only offers a comparison, he does offer, in fact, a contrast. Beginning in verse 3, moving to verse 5, he talks about this contrast. 
Let me just pause and simply say this. While one aims not simply to crush another person, so therefore we want to be careful not to destroy or defame, it is important that we're truthful. And the writer of Hebrews shows us that. It's important that we're truthful with people. And the writer of Hebrews wasn't good just by simply letting people think that Jesus and Moses were both faithful. We're done. He wants them to be reassured that Jesus is, in fact, far superior because he is, in fact, more faithful. Look at verse 3. Jesus is counted worthy of much more glory than Moses. And Jesus is counted worthy of much more glory than Moses. In verse 5, he says, For while Moses is a member of God's house, he's a servant, Notice the comparison. Jesus is, in fact, over the house. He's a son. Did you get that? Moses, yes, is a member of God's house. But he's a servant. Where Jesus is over the house, Jesus is a son. There's a stark contrast. But how about this? Verse 4. For while Moses was faithful in God's house, Jesus is, in fact, the builder of the house. Because Jesus is God, and God is the builder of all things. Church, the point is simple. As worthy as Moses is in receiving honor, Jesus is counted much more worthy of the glory. See, here are some more key points that we need to make note of. While Moses pointed to the blessing of the covenant, he was faithful in giving the law, he was faithful in showing the people the importance of the sacrifices and building the place of worship, the tabernacle. Jesus is more faithful because Jesus is in fact not just simply pointing to, but Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God. After all, don't all the sacrifices, all the law and all the worship center upon Christ and Christ alone see Moses also failed remember when he was commanded to simply speak to the rock and what did he do he struck it twice and because of that we're told he was not allowed to enter the promised land along with the people we say well that's not fair people complained a whole lot but Moses saw God face to face Moses talked to God Moses walked with God. To whom much is given, much is expected. Moses struck the rock in frustration when he was simply supposed to speak to it. Moses was not always faithful, was he? But church, we know that there is one who is always faithful. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus is perfectly faithful. In John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus isn't boasting there, but he is making it clear, I have been faithful. In fact, the writer of Hebrews picks up on this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, when he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted, but get this, without sin. Jesus is faithful. So what's the point of the writer of Hebrews? Jesus is worthy of so much more glory than Moses. Yes, you can compare them, but in that comparison, there's also a contrast. Jesus is so much more worthy of glory. 
I draw your attention to verse 6 where it says, He is faithful over God's household as a son, and we are his house. Praise God. But you know there comes also with that comparison and that contrast a very strong caution. I draw your attention again to verse 6 where it says, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house. Notice a key word there, if. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. If. It's condition, conditional. It appears. This caution, this, this important aspect of not only are we to consider Jesus in comparison, consider Jesus in contrast to Moses, we are to hold fast to Jesus. To hold fast. See, drawing the point, the writer of Hebrews puts on his pastoral hat again, just as he did in chapter 2 when he warned us against the neglecting of such a great salvation. Now he tells us of the warning of not holding fast. Hold fast to Christ. Consider Him. Hold fast to Him. What does he mean when he says consider? He says fix your eyes upon. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. There is much seeking our attention today. Many things that, that bide for our attention. The very fact that we have smartphones and we, care, we carry with us all the time the opportunity to gather all the information that we could ever want about anything. There is much that is buying for our attention. But we need to fix our minds upon Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews was drawing us to do because he's saying Jesus is worthy Jesus is, in fact, much more worthy of your attention than anything. Fix your eyes on Jesus. This calling to fix your eyes on Him is a calling to meditate on Him. To read, to study, to look at. Do you know what happens as you fix your eyes on Jesus? The cares of this world do what? They fall away. They roll away. Your desire becomes more fixed to Jesus and you find your joy in Him and in Him alone. And guess what? No matter what comes, you can be at peace. Even death itself can be knocking on your door and like John Knox, you can be at peace. Dr. Robert Murray McShane speaks to this idea of keeping your eyes fixed on Christ, considering Jesus. He says this when he talks about being a traveler. He says, as a traveler passes through rapidly a country, the eye has no time to rest upon the different objects of it. So that when he comes to the end of his journey, no distinct impression is made upon his mind. He has only confused notions of the country through which he has traveled. I've been blessed to travel to a lot of different places, and as I've traveled to those places, I've seen just a small little aspect of the countries I've been in. The truth of the matter is, if I was to make a judgment based upon my small impression, I would have a very wrong idea of what those countries were about. That's what Dr. Robert Murray McShane says about us. He says, this explains how it is that death 
judgment, and eternity make so little impression upon most men's minds. Most people never stop to think, but hurry on through life and find themselves in eternity before they've ever considered the question, what must I do to be saved? Stop and consider Jesus. See, that's the bottom line. The devil would have us be so busy that we would not take the time to consider Jesus. For as we consider Jesus, we will see in the comparison and in the contrast of everything else, he is most worthy. And we will want to cling to him. We will want to hold fast. And after all, that's the command to hold fast. See, by holding fast, we prove that we are of his house. Understand that we're not saying that by holding fast, you're earning your salvation. But we're saying those who are saved do, in fact, hold fast. That's the work of the Spirit in us. Jesus' own words say this in Matthew 24, verse 13. But the one who enters to the end will be saved. The one who endures till the end will be saved. Enduring, holding fast. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So because God is faithful, we are able to be faithful in him. Hold fast. Be faithful. Be secure and cling to Christ. How do you do that? By considering him. By meditating on him. By comparing Him and contrasting Him with all the things that would bide for your affection. Jesus is far more glorious. Jesus is far more beautiful. Jesus is far more joyful. Hold fast. The writer of Hebrew aims to encourage his congregation to consider Jesus. To consider Jesus more worthy than anything. And church, that's what I am here doing for you today, to consider Jesus, to find him more glorious than all the things that buy for your attention. Jesus is far superior to anyone or anything. Jesus is glorious. He is far superior and worthy of all of our affections and praise. May we cling to him. May we worship him. May we love him, for that's what it means to hold fast to him. Let's pray. Father, as our Bibles close, as we turn from this third chapter, we pray that our hearts would be be inflamed toward Jesus, that we would see the beauty of him, the glory of him, that we would be struck in awe of Him, that we would worship Him, that we would love Him, that we would desire more of Him. Lord, that we would hold fast to Him. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. 